The following is a Galactic Network podcast. For more, go to GNCast.com. That's G-N-C-A-S-T-S dot com. Before there was radio, TV, or podcasts, people gathered together to tell stories. These stories were meant to entertain or educate. It really drew people in and helped them forget their troubles of the day and experience something they've never imagined before or maybe illustrated something in a way that was more easily to mentally digest. This tradition has been reborn in the forms of not only RPGs and LARPs, but in console, card, and board games as ways to tell a story and bring you into the tale. We're going to be talking about news, kickstarters of games you should be aware of, and interview a guest about a topic that involves some aspect of storytelling. We welcome you to the Adventure Party. Hello and welcome to the 50th gathering of the Adventure Party on this, the 5th of June. I am your party leader, Brad Ludwig. We ask that you peace tie your swords, holster your blasters, and use the proper hand signals to let people know what discipline you are using while you are gathered at the meeting table. You know, I wrote that line, and it sounded so good in my head, but it is a verbal landmine of trip-ups there, as you could, you could see. Well, we've been gone for a couple of weeks due to illness and other things, but and obviously we have a lot of cobwebs here to kick out. But we are back, and we are back with our guest, Gretchen Wolfmeyer, and she is an actress who has a cameo in Rob Schraub's Robot Bastard. Yeah, that's uh, right. <laughs> Steve Fossey <laughs> represents. <laughs> we uh, that show, but we can talk more about that later. <laughs> yes, absolutely we will, because it's, uh, it's, it's gold, Jerry, it's gold. She's also an improv comedian and a LARPer, which is kind of how uh, we met. We'll get into that a little later on, too. Uh, we wanted to get her perspective on what LARP is. Is it improv? Is it theater? Or is it something else? Or is it all of them together? Or nothing at all? So, there you go. Uh, the second in command, as always, is Glenn Bittner, and he is a movie reviewer on his YouTube show, The B-Movie Bunker, and the creator of the RPG Mistrunner. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Brad. Just fantastic. I'm almost orgasmic quick. Um... All right. Well, uh, keep your pants on and your hands uh, above the desk, and we'll be all right. There we go, and we're off. <laughs> uh, as always, we do our roundtable uh, discussion, uh, the game review, gaming news, and we're gonna talk a lot with Gretchen. So, here we go, Glenn. I hope so. It's your yes. It's always a treat to talk with Gretchen. She just brings sunshine wherever she goes. Glenn, you have an interesting game. I do. Uh, wh- what is this? Let me take you back in time to Chicago, 1893, and the Wadsfer. I mean, World's Fair. World's Fair 1893 is a newer board game. It came out this year. It's from Foxtrot Games and Renegade Games, uh, designed by J. Alex Kevern. Uh, we're looking at two to four players, and plays in about 30 to 45 minutes. For those of you who don't know what the World's Fair is, 
you should check it out. It was a pretty cool thing that the we used to do. We don't really do it anymore. It was kind of a thing of just getting together all sorts of stuff of not just technology and science, but arts and entertainment and culture and all these countries coming together and showcasing all this nifty stuff. And despite what a friend of mine thought when I mentioned the game, it has nothing to do with serial killers and murder hotels. You can also look that up as well. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. Uh, yes. <laughs> that is, a, if you can find the, the documentary, what is his name? Uh, Holmes, the, the first serial killer. Yes. Mm-hmm. Look that up. Also, check out about the Gokstad, the the Viking replica longship that they built and sailed from Norway to Chicago. That's interesting. Also part of the 1893 World's Fair. Huh. And also a card in this game. Oh. So in World's Fair, what you're doing is all, each player, you're playing as basically organizers of the fair. And you're trying to increase your influence throughout the fair and obtain different exhibits that will be put on on display. And you're basically you're trying to get reputation. Whoever has the best reputation in the end of the game is going to win. Now, there are five areas of the fair, and you're going to be vying for influence by putting your little influence cubes on your turn in an area. And when you do that, there are cards in those areas, and you will take all the cards in an area when you place a cube there. Those cards can be one of three things. They can be midway tickets, which, one, advance the game clock. There's like a, it's a giant Ferris wheel that is actually the, the clock for each turn. You're playing three turns, and every time you take a ticket, midway ticket, you tick up on the... Ferris wheel, one space. They're also worth points at the end of each round. You get one point for ticket you have, along with a bonus if you have the most. Something else you can collect are influential people. You collect people who will give you special abilities that you can use on your next turn. That could be something like when you play a cube in a space, you can play another one there, or you can play one in another space next to it, or you get to move a cube from somewhere else on the board. So influential people are cool, but you have to use them immediately the next turn you get them, you can't save them up for later. The other thing you can get are actual exhibits. Now, the exhibits come into play because once a turn is completely done, when the Ferris wheel is moved all the way around, you go through each of the five areas and figure out who has the most influence in each area. If I have the most influence in, say, electricity, I get a little medal saying I took first place, which is worth uh, reputation points. I also get to approve three of any electricity exhibits that I have in front of me. And that's how you're screening the most points is you're getting these different exhibits. And the more diverse your exhibits are, meaning across, spread across five areas, the more points they're worth. So you keep going around this three times, and then the final round you do your final square round, and again, most reputation is going to win. It's got a nifty mechanic because of the, of the cards constantly being replenished in all these different areas and vying for this constant control of influence in these areas to get your exhibits approved while, of course, preventing your opponents from getting theirs approved. And it's also just fun to read the cards and see some of the things that were introduced at the 1893 World's Fair. I mean, things that we think are commonplace, well, I mean, or at least were at one time, like the first, you know, automatic popcorn popper and stuff like that. And reading the tickets and seeing the things that were at that World's Fair, you know, 123 years ago now. Gosh. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah, that was uh, Nikola Tesla's uh, thing. Yeah, that, that was his year to shine, and shine he did, literally. <laughs> yeah. Not funny. All right, continue on, Glenn. There's no humor in science. Mm-hmm. So what are the areas, Glenn? Is so you have fine arts, electricity. Let's see, now I have to remember. There's transportation, 
there's forgetting now because I don't have the game in front of me. It's over on my shelf. Oh, hang on. I think I've got a picture here. I have. Well, I should have. I have the link I can look at if I, you know, if I knew how to. You know. Are there five areas? There are five areas. Oh yeah, transportation, fine art, electricity, some kind of craft or manufacture or invention. Manufacturing. Okay. And then it looks like I see wheat here, so something dealing with agriculture. Agriculture? Okay. Yep. So, yeah. That's pretty much the game in a nutshell. It, it plays pretty quick, which I know you like, Brad. A lot of I do. Like, a lot of people like, like having that quicker playthrough. So. And it just shows, again, that you know you can take almost anything and make an interesting game of it. Yeah, and they've really, really made a pretty fun game with this. I've, I've run it several times now in the store. We actually got it as um, board game companies have started doing pre-releases. It's kind of their way of saying, hey, we know that brick-and-mortar stores are important to us. <laughs> and uh, as, as much as, you know, as many copies as Amazon may sell of these games and online sellers may sell, it's the brick-and-mortar stores that really do a lot to help out the yeah. board game company because we're the ones who are talking about the game and are showing them off in our stores. So they let us have copies of the games two weeks in advance. That's so nice. You know, yeah. a, trade-off, a trade-off being that, you know, we do something to, you know, kind of promote it, you know, we... As I said, I ran a, I ran a couple demo nights at the store for, for World's Fair when it came out. And it's just it's nice to also have that two-week head start before any online sellers have the game. I absolutely love stores that do game demos. That they will, you know, when they get a preview game or if they've got a game that they decide that they're going to, you know, maybe run a sale on and, and you know, run a demo of the game. There is no better way... I will never buy a washer and dryer over the internet. And that's not because I'm old. It's because I want to actually, you know, is it front load? How much space is it? I want to be able to look at it a little bit and get kind of a sense of, of what it can do for me and how it's going to fit in with what I've got. Games are the same way. I really want to get a good feel for the game. I have a very hard time buying a game sight unseen and finding a store that will allow you to demo and actually get a good feel of the game and a good sense of, you know, is this something you're going to continue to play? Why why spend the money to put something in your library if you're going to play it once and that's it? So right. What I love about stores like Board Game Barrister, um, I know that we've been in there and I've gotten excited about a game. I've just played it through and gotten interested in a game. And when we've been there for GlenCon before... I've been able to see other people playing a game and watch them and look at it and say, oh, well, maybe I'd like to try that. And then I'm able to pull it down off the shelf, try it out, and then, sure enough, we walk out of there with a couple of games at least. <laughs> it's real. They make it really easy. No, absolutely. How much does this approximately retail for? $40. Oh, wow. Okay. So... That's yeah. not bad considering oh. how pretty it is. Yeah. yeah. It's a great little filler game too. Yeah. The other nice thing about this is it does speak of history. I mean, you actually get facts about what happened at that World's Fair and and really kind of how historically important that particular fair was, especially for some of the, like you mentioned before, some of the things that we enjoy today were kicked off there. And uh, we're going to be talking about a, a historical game here in our Kickstarter Spotlight as well. 
and there's just something really kind of cool about you know the the, the what it, the saying goes what the best the best lies are wedged between two truths so it's really kind of fun to be a part of a game where you've got facts and then you've got that area in which to play around in with them so games like that are really they're not just educational but if done well they can be a lot of fun so and how many players again two to four players on this one okay um, I have not yet played a two-player game. I've played several three-player. Most of the ones I've played are four-player, and it doesn't really take a lot of extra time between a three- and four-player game because the rounds do move pretty quick because you're simply just – you place a cube and pick up a stack of cards. And so there's not a lot a lot going on. And each space, uh, you're refilling cards every time someone draws. You add three more cards to the board. So no space ever gets that full either, so it's not like you have a lot – to really think about when you're drawing cards. You go, oh, I really need some agriculture things. Look, that spot has two of them. I think I'll just go there. So for people who, who get that analysis paralysis, I mean, you can still get it a little bit, but it shouldn't be as severe in this game because there's less choices as far as... It's, it's easier to see what choices you need to make, I should say. Sure. Yep. Okay, cool. Well, thank you for for sharing that with us. Absolutely. If you like what you've heard on this Galactic Network podcast, please consider helping us out financially by going to gncast.com slash support. On that page, you'll find links to our Patreon campaign where you can make a small recurring monthly pledge of as little as $1. Or click on our Amazon affiliate link, make a purchase, and we get a very small percentage from the sale. Again, go to gncast.com slash support. And thank you for supporting the Galactic Network podcast. We are going to move into the news, and, and you, this... You picked a story, I'm glad you did. Yeah, I I saw this and I went, holy shit, that's kind of a big deal. I've had the opportunity to play this game a, a few times, and how long has that game been out? Zombies? Oh boy, uh, at least I mean, a decade, I think. Yeah, I want to say and, 15 and, uh, years. Kids, it was before my kids were born. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, and and I'm I'm just I'm actually glad to see it being uh, with what happened to it after because of those who know well actually you didn't say what the, what the story is yet. So why no. don't you do that before yep. I start going into details? <laughs> okay, cool. The story is Mayfair Games acquires Twilight Creations. Uh, and this story came from a press release uh, in Skokie, Illinois. Mayfair Games is excited to announce the purchase of a controlling interest in Twilight Creations, the award-winning board game publisher of the well-known Zombies series of games. I did that because there's three exclamation marks in the name of the game. You can't say Zombies. You have to say Zombies and get excited about it because the exclamation marks are there. Just saying. All right series of games in addition to the horror-themed line of games, including The Haunting House. During this change, Carrie Breitenstein will remain an integral part of Twilight Creations, overseeing the creative side of the company as the vice president of design and production. Uh, Lauren Rosny of Mayfair Games will be taking on the role of president and will be in charge of the day-to-day operations of the company. All logistical operations for Twilight Creations are being moved to Mayfair Games in Skokie. 
All sales and distribution inquiries will be handled by our sales team in Plant City, Florida. All distributors will remain the same. We are happy to announce we will be showcasing the Zombies product line in the Mayfair Games booth at Origins Game Fair in Columbus, Ohio, uh, June 15th through the 19th. Uh, our presence for both companies at Gen Con, August 4th through the 7th, will remain the same this year. Twilight Creations will be in booth number 523, and Mayfair will be in booth 117. Watch for combined space for 2017. Uh, we are both excited about the possibilities ahead of us, and we hope you'll join us in this zombie adventure. Stay tuned for big zombies announcements Sorry, uh, in coming months. So, Now, Glenn... Give us yes. some juicy details. Well, what makes me happy is that Zombies, uh, along with a whole bunch of product races, is, I mean, they've still been around, but they lost a bit of their steam when Todd Bretenstein passed away in 2013. Oh, okay. So it took some, some of the wind out of their sails, obviously. I mean, you know, when, yeah. when an integral part of your company, you know, and the president of the company, and I actually met Todd twice. I mean, not like we were great buds, but I, I got to meet him twice, and he was always just a genuinely nice guy and made some fun games. So it's nice seeing this getting picked up by Mayfair, and with Mayfair having sold off Settlers of Catan to Asmodee, they're obviously they're, they're branching out in different directions because they're not solely focusing on their one big fish, which was Catan. Sure. They, have, they have other games that they've been doing, and now they're partnering with Twilight Creations, it's great. It's, it's, it should hopefully breathe some new life into this company because they need it. Yeah, and it's it's a fun game to play. I, I really... I think I've played Zombies like twice and both times have been really kind of fun and slightly nerve-wracking and the thing that I really like about it... <laughs> yeah... <laughs> Uh, you know, one of the things I really like about it is the the detail of the miniatures that you use. And you know, when you you get a bag of zombies, and when you get a bag of zombies, it, it's a bag of zombies, and they have glow in the dark zombies, and they, you know, it's just they're pretty cool. The board's pretty cool. Yeah, and you can flip over sections of the board to kind of change things up, so you're not playing the same, you know, the same pattern each time. So. It has a lot of replayability, and the gameplay is really fun. And as I recall, it, it's not a very long game to play. <laughs> uh, that depends who you play it with. Well, y there is that. If there's a black crayon there, involved. There's, well, there's, yeah, there's, there's a lot of room in this game for spite. <laughs> for spite! Yes. Yeah. And, and there's, I have certain friends who will not, not play this game anymore because spite was a bit too much for them. <laughs> And we played for like two hours because no one could get anything done because someone always had something to spite another person. Oh, yeah. But that's... hey, that's part of the game, bitch. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah it, well, it kind of is, yes. So to have a game where it's somewhat open-ended, where you can make it as long and as short as you want to make it, I guess, it's just, it's a great game. And to see a great game like that kind of wither on the vine is always a bit sad. So it's nice to see Mayfair's picking it up and uh, keeping it moving forward. So, And I'm sure they're going to take great care of it. 
I'll be interested to see what they do with this property as time moves on. I'm sorry, Gretchen, what were you saying? That's what I was going to say. I was going to say I'm excited to see what they come up with together. Yeah. Mayfair will do with with them. Now, what are some of the... Some of the, I mean, they 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 no longer have Catan. What other board games does Mayfair currently have that are are kind of front and center? You know, I need to check because Mayfair's made a lot of, a lot of games. Yeah. And some of them are really not really around anymore, like Dos Rios and stuff like that. I mean, they've got them, but they do have one that I talked about before, um, Isle of Sky. Oh yeah. Yep. I, I talked about that not too long ago, but my gosh, I mean, trying to think. Agricola, which mm-hmm. I don't really care for. Um, Six Nimit, uh, Saboteur, Mystery, Motive for Murder, that's one that we do, uh, Star Trek Five-Year Mission. Oh, okay, yep, yep. Which I know you've played. Uh, yes. Patchwork, which is a pretty cool one right now. Murano, Extra Extra, Gold Ahoy, Johari, Bedpins and Broomsticks. <laughs> I mean, there's... There's a lot. Caverna, Asgard's Chosen, which I think is kind of dead. Zen Garden, which I think is kind of dead. Yeah, there's there's a lot. A lot of games. Their big ones now are, I mean, Isle of Sky, which is up for one of the Spiel de Jar. They do, they do all the Rails games, you know, Euro Rails, Martian Rails, yeah. Empire okay. Builder, that's all them. So those those are still, those are still in existence for all the Rails players, and there will be people spending their entire Gen Con playing just those games. And probably getting in like two. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> along. It depends who you play with, but but yeah, and I mean, you know, it's it's nice to see them doing more and branching out. I mean, like I said, they still got some strong titles. I mean, Agricola. As much as I dislike the game, there's a lot of love out there for it, and it still sells fairly well for us. You know, for a seventy dollar game, it sells sells well enough. Um, I was kind of doing well. Patchwork is a great two player game. Star Trek Five Year Mission. Is a fun little game too. So yeah, it is. <laughs> I'm glad that they're gonna move forward and keep that moving because yeah. it's, like I said, I've said it a few times. It is a very fun game to play, and if you can find it, don't walk, run, and pick up a copy of Zombies because you will not, you will not regret it. I'm Carrie Sims. You may know me from the popular weekly internet game show podcast, Trivia Geeks, streaming live every Tuesday night at 9.15 Eastern, 8.15 Central. Like any podcast, Trivia Geeks started out as nothing more than an idea and a dream. Here at Blazing Caribou Studios, we believe in cultivating those dreams and ideas to bring fresh content to the masses. Click on over to BlazingCaribouStudios.com and click on the link Pitch Podcast Ideas. Your dream could be just one click away. Now, the Kickstarter Spotlight. Uh, Last time we spoke about Plague, Inc. And it's been a couple of weeks, so I... Oh, okay, there we go. So that was done. Yes. And if I can maneuver the internet... They kind of succeeded. They kind of crushed it by over... Ten times what they were... Oh, I'm sorry. Over a thousand times? <laughs> ten times. What am I... Uh, yeah. No, it was a little no, over ten. No, ten times. Ten times. Math is hard. That's why I'm not an uh, actuary. 
or in the insurance business because I suck at math. Uh, yeah, so over 10 times, remind us, what was Plague, Inc.? Plague, Inc. is, you know, all these, these you know, fun, but, you know, for some people, lame co-op games where you're saving the world. Screw that. Let's kill everyone. Plague, <laughs> Inc., you used to basically play as a disease, trying to be the first disease to wipe out the human race. Now, uh... That sounds we, awesome. Uh, <laughs> this evening, we just played Contagion which is a part of the pandemic line. Yes. Uh, and that was, it seems to be kind of along the same lines, at least not so much with, I mean, you get to evolve a disease to, you know, so you can draw more cards or be more infectious, but this is actually a bit different from that. And yes. how would you describe the difference between like Contagion and Plague Inc.? Well, I think the big difference is just, well, first of all, Plague Inc. is based off of a computer game. Been going on. It's it's you know it's it's a giant. I mean, seventy million players worldwide. So it takes from that game. Whereas Contagion, yeah, you get you can evolve diseases and stuff like that. Contagion was just the it was the natural place for Pandemic to go because Pandemic is all about being members of the CDC and wiping out the disease. So Contagion made sense for them to do is like well. Sometimes people want to be the bad guy, and <laughs> that's what that is. So, so there are some similarities. I think gameplay is is definitely different from from what I can see as far as what goes on with Plague Inc. But I think you're going to have overlap because I mean, you, it's a similar thing where you know in Contagion you are the disease, and in this one you are diseases. So you're going to have that overlap, and you might not want both if you already have Contagion. Plague Inc. might be redundant enough where you wouldn't get it. And that's sure. just that's the nature of board games is that there are so many now coming out and just so many that yeah. already exist that sometimes you hit that that level of redundancy where you're like, do I really need another one of this type of game? I think Descent is a great game, but I don't own it because I don't need yet another dungeon crawl board game. I've got way more than enough. Sure. Especially okay. when you also throw in role playing games and everything else. It's redundancy for, for people who are big game collectors comes on pretty quick and some people don't care there it's like uh you know potato chips where you know you can't have one you have to have all of them till the bag is empty and <laughs> the board game bag i hate to tell you people who are trying to collect them all it will never be empty yes never be empty that is so, very true gretchen what's what's the wolfmeyer uh game library like there well we have our guest bedroom <laughs> dedicated <laughs> to board games and uh, we have a little bit of everything I mean we love playing games together we play Firefly we'll play like quick pickup card games things that the kids can play with us like lunch money or poo um, you know just kind of fun stuff that way the kids like really silly improv party games we've gotten one of those the last time we went to see Glenn, and uh, we're always picking up new stuff. We have a, a nice shop here in town too, and a board game group that meets oh, on nice. Tuesday nights. So we're trying now that we don't have obligations on Tuesday nights, we're trying to get in and, and meet up with them. That's very cool. Really good people. Oh, I've, nice. I've met them online and been able to talk to them about different things coming out and different games. Yeah, so. Uh, 
we, we play some stuff. We have friends come over and play. And I've also done, I've also hosted a board game night at, like, our church and had okay. folks come and try stuff that they've never tried before. Like lunch money and poo. Right. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, something maybe a little more low-key. <laughs> That's wow. actually been a fairly big thing with us is I've been seeing more people who are part of church groups mm-hmm. looking for games they can play and take to their church group because obviously you're not going to take, you know, Arkham Horror. Right. Unless, of course, you know, you belong to the Church of Cthulhu. Well, then maybe you would. Flying <laughs> um, Spaghetti Monster, you know, we don't we don't discriminate. It's, it's all good. Yeah. But uh, so, you know, you, we always have to have, you know, those of us who sell games need to have that in our arsenal of, okay, well, here's games that should be, for the most part, non-threatening to anyone who has even a tiny bit of common sense. I mean, I did have one person who didn't want Settlers of Catan because they felt it was too violent. Really? Because because there are soldier cards. Mm-hmm. I explained to them, like, the soldiers don't actually do anything but scare away the robber. You don't actually attack anybody. She's, she's like, well, there, there's enough soldier stuff in war already in the world. We don't need more of it. I'm oh. like... You just don't know what you're talking about, but okay. Um, well, I want to get up checkers. I tend to pull out games like Settlers of Catan or Carcassonne or Ticket to Ride or something like that, and I think the World's Fair game that we talked about might be a neat one. Oh yeah, that'd be perfect to that kind of group, you know, especially because we've got all ages that come to our board game nights. We've got little kids and we've got retired folks, so. You know, it's a, it's a large range there, and that's not my typical gaming group or board game group, but trying to get them interested in something different. Sure, and that's really what it's all about, is exposing people to different things that maybe they didn't think that they were going to like or something that you know that they're going to like, and uh, spreading the word and bringing, bringing games back to full force. It, I wouldn't. We like playing zombies, too, so we're not... It's not like we only play church-approved games. Yes. Zombies! Zombies! (laughs) (laughs) All right. So what we're going to do now is... uh, Yeah, Plague Inc. did incredibly well, and now we're going to talk about a game that former guest Rob Benton pointed out to me, and... He described the game to me, and and you have to watch the video for this game. It's 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 wonderful. And uh, here's the brief description of the game. The game is called The Pirate Republic, and this is by Tom Butler of Green Feet Games. And uh, the brief description is: Pirate across the New World to forge empires and seize power from European imperialists in this 1713 board game adventure for two to four players. This game is, as I mentioned earlier uh, when we were talking about World's Fair, is this is historically accurate. The pirates that you have the opportunity to play are real and are from that time period. Uh, this all takes place in the South Pacific so you're dealing with the uh, the Dutch and you're dealing with you know uh, the Spanish you're dealing with all these other navies that were trying to clean up you mean the Caribbean the yeah Car- uh, yes thank you sorry the Caribbean 18th century New World I'm looking yeah at- okay, yeah cool. you know dealing with trying to to do away with with piracy and and how that all kind of worked out now 
I'm going to, for those of you who are checking us out on YouTube, I am going to screen share once again. And here is a view of what the map, uh, let's see if I can get a bigger shot of the map as everybody is vomiting while I'm flipping through stuff here. Okay, uh, yeah, you're in and around Cuba. You're all around that whole area around the Gulf of Mexico and in <clears throat> the Caribbean islands and that whole area. Now, one of the great things about this, and let me try to scroll to some of the cards. You don't get to see it so much on the box. Dang it. They hired a artist, an artist who is exceptional, to do the cards for the different pirates. He did the art for the cover of the box. One of the stretch goals higher up is that he will actually paint a version of the map. They have a, a standard version of the map. It's all laid out already. But if they break that specific stretch goal, he will actually paint a version of this map. That's and cool. the artwork is exquisite, and I can't recommend enough checking out the Pirate Republic on Kickstarter and taking a look at that. Uh, if you, if you, yeah, if you check out the page, your different, uh, different representations of your pirate ships are basically they look like they're they were designed in in 3D and you actually get a chance to get a spinning view of the little ship, and it's a beautiful representation of of the type some of the types of ships. Uh, this is uh, it's a single mass fore and aft rigged vessel. It's so detailed, so detailed. A single jib or headsail and gaff rig. They were made of cedar trees. I just all of the love that was put into the research of this is just amazing. Uh, some of the limited edition, depending on what level you back it at, you can get signed and numbered 20 inch by 26 inch Pirate Republic commissioned artwork. Ah, it's just absolutely beautiful. They are looking to get $39,998 to get it funded. And they've got backing goals all the way up. And it's just absolutely, it's a wonderful game. And it's got some, some really decent reviews from some of the folks that have had an opportunity to play the game. And right now, with 19 days to go, they are at $12,523, which is a crime. It should be well beyond that. So I think one of the things that might be holding it back is Greenfeet Games is new. Yeah. Um, and first time out with a board game from a company that nobody's heard of yet is always rough. So and they've they've taken steps here to make sure that it is Euro and like Canada shipping friendly, so you're not going to have surprise shipping fees to get the game. Now, to get a basic version of the game, $55 gets you the board game and all the stretch goals. Oh, that's gone. Haha. -ha. Oh, they added another $55. Okay. So, yes, $55 still gets you <laughs> in at the ground level. If you get in at $129, that's when you get the that limited edition artwork that I spoke of earlier which the, the, the artwork that was done for this, like I said, is absolutely beautiful. And they do have, if you're a retailer, they have a, for $195, uh, 
you get six copies of the game. You do have to have the, the proof that you know you are an actual business and so on. And the game is looking to be delivered to folks by February. For the both of you who have extensive libraries of games, would something like this fit into your library? We'll start with Gretchen. Um, actually, it would. I picked up at our rummage sale for a dollar. I picked up Broadside. Okay. I'm not familiar with that, but that is a sailing vessel battleship game. And Randy and Connell played it and absolutely loved it. And I had one of my old professors at UWSP commented on it and he said, I remember playing this when I was a kid. And it is a 1962 board game with sailing ships battling. And it was just phenomenal. And this is, I, first of all, we're map geeks. So this is right up my alley. Sure, yep. And I would love to see this game. And I think $55 is definitely worth it. It's a beautiful game. Yeah. And uh, I've, I've kind of jumped over to the greenfeetgames.org site. And they do have a section of the site where they show the characters and the artwork. You get the opportunity to play Blackbeard, Sam Bellamy, and Bonnie, cool. Calico Jack. Now, uh, I think one of the other stretch goals is they might add some other pirates to this, or there's a possibility of it. And you also get to see the different flags that they flew under as well. So, I mean, there's very much a historical aspect to this game and I could see you know if you're a really cool history teacher uh, <laughs> you know pulling out a game like this and letting people see kind of how piracy worked possibly and uh, and get a, a, a good feel of of how how that worked in in uh, I'm trying to find the right words for this but to get a good sense of what piracy was what it was all about and the people that were a part of of it and how other other countries felt about piracy. What is it? The Dutch India Company uh, really, you know, they were having their stuff stolen for the most part, and you know there were other countries shipping money around the world. They were being hijacked. You know, there's a lot of things going on in that in that part of the world, and uh, it had a wide-reaching impact. And to have that ability to to get a good sense of that by playing this game is, I think it's a, a very valuable tool. Glenn, what do you think about it? Yeah. I think I would have it in my collection, quite possibly. I have a couple other pirate games already. Libertalia is piratey. Yep. Um, obviously, much different gameplay. Um, Sales of Glory, which is actually ship-to-ship combat, kind of like a pirate version of like an X-Wing, but a lot more advanced. Oh, okay, sure. So yeah, I could definitely see this see this making it into my library, and that's partly because I'm a whore when it comes to games. <laughs> I have way, way too many games. You you do, but we love you for it. And and you're always the person that whenever we you know see a game or something like that, we we always try to get your opinion and find out if it's any good, uh, or if you have other information on it. So. That's why we have you on the show. One of many reasons why you, we have you on the show, because you're, you're the guy in the know. I try. <laughs> Speaking of people in the know, Gretchen, hello. Hey. <laughs> uh, I, I call myself in the know, but, you know, it's good. 
<laughs> well, of of all of the people in our peer group, you're the one that I always think of is more associated with improv for some reason, and I'm not sure why, but... Probably because of my flailing Muppet arms most of the time. <laughs> well, there is that. Uh, yet another adorable Gretchen quality, <laughs> the flailing Muppety arms. But we've, we've talked about LARP in the past, and we even spoke with uh, the web series uh, LARPs, and... That was a great episode, by the way. I really enjoyed that one. Oh, those guys were absolutely so wonderful. It was a great really? interview. And it, it, we posed the question there, what would they? What do they consider LARP to be? Especially when uh, Scott, one of the actors of LARPs, it, being an actor, doing improv, uh, getting a, a feel of what he thought where LARP was. And for those of you who have never experienced LARP, LARP is live-action role-playing. It doesn't matter what the system is. The, the I mean, the LARP that I that I did was Mind's Eye Theater, which is White Wolf's uh, vampire LARP system. And you know, they also had Werewolf and... I can't... Uh, they did have one for... And they had one for Changeling? They had one for Changeling. They had one for Mage. And I can't remember if they had any other ones at this time. But those are the ones that I remember. But the ones that, I mean, we played we played Vampire LARP. And the interesting thing about it is you had in your pocket a version of the character that you were playing. And, you know, of course it had the name and and the, um, oh my god, it's escaping me. Your list of disciplines, the, I keep wanting to say tribe, and i am got werewolf stuck in my head. Oh, clan. Clan, clan thank you. <laughs> and it had your applicable stats for how to resolve conflicts. But, as a whole, what was on the paper was all of the details that basically resolved conflict and to try to, you know, if you hand it in this sheet, somebody can go, oh, well, that's your character, and they hand it to you. It had the nuts and the bolts, but the thing about LARPing is you have a sense of what the character is, and you've developed a history for the character and a personality for the character, and it is your your job, essentially, when you come to the LARP to put that character on and interact with the story, conflicts, whatever that happens in the game as that character. So Gretchen, with her experiences in theater, with improv, and with LARP, I wanted to talk to you about where you think LARP lies in the spectrum of acting, improv, or whatever performance type art you'd want to classify it as. So let's start with some basics. What essentially is improv? What is improv? Yeah. Uh, but basically, it is being able to create a scene with um, yourself and some other players or characters, and that can be a short scene or a long scene. There is long-form improv and short-form improv, but really it's being there and being willing to improvise. Just being you know, Improv comes from improvisation, and being able to 
be willing to jump in and see what one person is doing and say, okay, yeah, I'll be a part of that. And let's add this in. And then you're adding in something else and you're taking the scene somewhere. And that's so important to be able to move it and go from point A to point B and to be able to have a fun ride in the middle and then have an ending. Sure. And it's, it's really great. I started in improv with Delicious Ambiguity Comedy, and one of your other guests had, was our founding father, Rob Benton, of Delicious Ambiguity Comedy. I had a lot of other friends that had done comedy sports and created their own improv troops, the Dead Elwives in Milwaukee, and have gone on to do improv and improv Olympics in L.A. and, and continued on from there. But it's just so much fun to do that. And you have to be willing to just put yourself out there. And I think what's cool about LARP is you can put yourself out there, but you also have your statistics or your, your character traits to fall back on. So you can kind of, it's a building block and you can use it like Legos and build from there and then keep building and then add on something new where if you're in a theater, if you're in a show, I'm in a show coming up this summer, you're kind of just building a character, but we don't have stats. We don't have, you know, our, our fighting stats for that. <laughs> that would be cool if we did. <laughs> it, it would make for very, very interesting shows, that's for sure. Well, we're doing Sister Act, and, I, you know, if I could get in some combat with some nuns, <laughs> that would be really great. Pull out Maybe a foam, foam sword. and that does that. <laughs> just drop some rock, paper, scissors right in the middle of the show. Well, I'm a backup singer in Sister Act. I'm Del one of Dolores' backup singers in our show this summer. And so, you know, maybe I can do some of the little... Yeah, there we go. Rock, <laughs> things as I go. But no, improv is just being willing to put yourself out there. And uh, it's actually one of the scariest things I've ever done, but I'm so glad that I've been able to do it. And I think it's helped me just be a goofy parent. It's helped me to be a better character player. Um, in tabletop games, it's helped me to be, you know, to be open to LARPing. And I loved LARPing with the crew in Mind's Eye Theater and the group that you guys did, Brad. It was so much fun. Okay, so now we have a general sense of what improv is and, and kind of how it works. What are some of the important guidelines, tenets, or rules of improv? How does it work? Well, I mean... Basically, what I had said before is that you just have to be open to the scene. You have to be willing to go with that other person, to be able to go with them and agree to whatever it is they're doing. It's definitely the principle of yes and. To start a scene, if you're the one starting it and you want to go to the ocean, the other person's going to go to the ocean with you. And then from there, they might be, you know, a weird grandpa that decides that he doesn't see the ocean, he sees the War of 1812. And then from there, <laughs> and you would just agree to that and keep going from there. So, I mean, it can be kooky, it can be, you could get in a spaceship from there and, and go on from there. I don't know if you guys listen to other podcasts too, but I've really enjoyed listening to Harmontown with Dan Harmon okay. and Jeff Davis and Rob Schraub, which... Rob Schraub and Dan Harmon had done improv a long time ago and continued on doing doing that sort of thing and have become writers. Jeff Davis has been on Whose Line Is It Anyway? And he started out in improv as well. And 
I listen to their podcast and I laugh my head off because I see where they're taking a scene. They might be talking about their issues together as friends and then they decide to improv it and play it out and see where it takes them. And it's just utterly ridiculous and enjoyable and that's what I love about improv. Yeah, that's uh, Harmontown is on my list of I haven't started listening to it yet, but uh uh, I had some podcasts end, so I'm going to be cycling some new things in, and that's definitely on my list uh, to add. If you love their stuff that they did with the Dead Alewives, if yep. you listen to any, if you listen to their stuff they did there, um, I remember going to live shows and seeing them, and they were absolutely hilarious, and they just continued to stay funny and grow and learn and be as goofy as ever. So it's really enjoyable. Well, speaking of learning, how does somebody get better at improv? It's not like you can lift weights and, and be stronger or, you know, this is something where you have to be witty, funny, and creative. How do you get to be better at being wittier, funnier, or more creative? Well, I mean, you can definitely work on characters, work on things yourself, but I think the best thing to do would be to check out locally, see if you can take classes. We've got a great community theater here, and my kids are taking classes. They took classes this fall. Um, Connell did a Big Hero 6-themed class <laughs> and really worked on like superpowers and how to show your superpowers and what to do. And my daughter took a class on, oh, uh, shoot, what's the movie? The, the movie with all the feelings. Oh, Inside Out. Inside Out. Her class was Inside Out based. So they really worked on emotions. They worked on playing improv games mm. and not showing emotions. You know, honey, I love you. Won't you please, please smile. And you look into someone's eyes and you make silly crazy faces until they laugh, and if they don't laugh, they're like, honey, I love you, but I just can't smile. They tried to trick us when we came for parent night, and I'm like, oh, no, you're not going to get me. <laughs> <laughs> I got your number. I, I, I have a feeling that it's, it's like anything that's a creative act, whatever you want to call it. It's like drawing or writing or anything like that. I think, at least to me, a large part of how you get better is, is you do it. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, you do it more often, and, and you check out the people who do it better than you, and you see what they're doing, and that's a big thing is, you know, what? why is this person so much better at it? What are they doing that's different from how I approach it? Right. Sure. Okay. And I think you can learn from scripted things. I think you can learn from, you know, Saturday Night Live and, and other things like that, Upright Citizens Brigade, other other fun you know, places, but you can also take what they've done and then work on something new, work on your own. So you can play basic improv games, you can, you know, go out and, and see other shows, see live theater, see other things that interest you, learn about it. There's a ton of things now with, with the interwebs, we can, we can check out <laughs> live performances, streaming, we can check out things on YouTube and, and really just enjoy all of that, but just wickedly, wickedly funny stuff. I think some of the funniest stuff, the hardest stuff I've ever done has been uh, improv where you've had to sing. Okay. 
And that's just been, you know, because not only do you have to, like, come up with a tune and, and figure it out, and then you, but you still have to make it funny. Sure, yep. <laughs> and so you're, you're... going to fall flat on your face. It's okay to fall on your face. Sure. It, it, yeah, when you're doing something like that, you are really juggling a lot of plates and keeping yeah. them in the air. Yeah. So, yeah, so just practicing... Mm-hmm. practicing that and just getting just keep yeah. jumping in and doing it um, and not being afraid that's got to be a big part of it that is a big key the other thing is just being present being in the moment being able to be there and be responsive and you know maybe you've got something in your head that you'd like to use but maybe it's not going to fit maybe that isn't really who your character is at this point and I think that works with LARP too you know you have to look at what is there and then see if you can take it to the next level, see if you can take it somewhere. But you also have to stay within those parameters that you've been given. Yeah. It's, yep. like, it's almost like listening to your director or listening to someone that is overseeing the LARP and saying, okay, well, you have to keep it you know, within this. If, you're, if your charisma is really low, you can't be that charming. <laughs> <laughs> Try as you might, and that would come out in the you know rock paper scissors essentially right. in, the, in the challenge. Yeah, which okay. is why my characters all have a high high uh, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sure they do. Listen to that voice. <laughs> so, okay, so in improv there is kind of an agreed upon beginning. And maybe an end, but definitely a beginning, a starting point. And you have to kind of agree on that premise and move forward. But there isn't a whole lot of, it's improvised, so there isn't necessarily a whole lot of structure to it. Right. Now, when we talk about theater, there is obviously, there's a script that you are given, and there is a lot of structure. But the art in that is sort of the execution of how the performance is done. Is, is that accurate? Well, I think you, you do have a lot of leeway there. Okay, okay. You, know, you, you do have those words printed. You do have those directions printed, you know, any movements or, or what's going on in the scene. But you can take that and work with it. You know, that doesn't mean that your character couldn't have an accent or couldn't be over here or whatever. You have to work with your director in that case. And, you know, in LARP 2, they're going to give you some goals. They're going to give you some direction. You know, here's, here's what you need to accomplish. Here are the things that you need to do. So you're always striving towards that. And that's your motivation. And so, you know, in theater, you're also going to have your motivation. And in improv, maybe you don't talk about what your motivation is because you're just doing this on the fly, but your character has to be going in a direction, has to be going somewhere. So, you know, they might be motivated by money or ice cream or ferret. Who knows? (laughs) Okay. Okay. So I do have a question when it comes to improv, and I think that this can uh, apply to LARP, is if you're in a scene in improv and things seem to be maybe stalling a little bit or it's going somewhere where maybe there is no funny, 
<laughs> how how do you how would you as another person that's a part of this particular thing pull it pull it back to to the funny or to the direction that it needs to go? Well, I mean that that could be hard. You may have to agree to what they're saying, but then move the scene to a new place. Okay. Move this. Maybe ask a question. Maybe look for another motivation. Maybe start an argument. And maybe you would bring in um, someone else or something else into into the scene to take it take it back out of there. Um, that that could be difficult. And there are some. There are some folks that would just take the bad and ride it down as far as it can go <laughs> until it's funny again. Okay. And if you want an example of that, check out Norm MacDonald. <laughs> oh, no, don't do that. <laughs> okay. But I think, yeah, I think you just have to, you have to be open to it and you have to be willing to go there, you have to be comfortable with who you're who you're working with, and the more you would improvise with someone, the more you would work with someone, the more you can see into their mind, you know, kind of where they're going, and then you can take it, and then you can always you could always do something completely non sequitur and ridiculous from there too to get them out. Okay. Would hopefully be funny. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta find the funny. Go looking. Okay. So when we and and for those who who aren't familiar with LARP and how that's uh, we we okay, we've talked about improv and having an agreed upon start point and then moving from there. We've talked about theater and how while you have a script, you have a director, you can work with the director and Flanagle some things, maybe modify some things, but still being true to the work. Mm -hmm. You get to play, and I think that's that's the key. The key in all of it is to play, to be that kid, and you know, okay, here's our agreed upon place that we're playing. We're gonna we're gonna play in the grocery store. We're pretending it's a grocery store. Okay, well, here we go. This is what we're gonna do, and you know, you'll have a shopkeeper, and you'll have the customer and then you'll kind of go from there and just being willing to play and I think that's what you know good directors will want you to play around with it too and kind of think about it and figure it out sure okay I would think you could do that with a LARP too yeah now when it comes to a LARP and, and I don't think that we've really talked about this when it comes to a LARP you have a storyteller or storytellers that craft uh, plot or premise but kind of loosely in that there could be a start point there is probably a direction that they're looking to have it go with an end point in mind but the point where the LARP actually happens is when a character kind of falls into that particular area and plays around in that space and then moving things to get to that end point and maybe not have that end result happen the way you 
thought it was going to be because the kind of the fun is in the journey in getting to at least relatively close to that end point, if not at that point uh, that you were looking to get to as a storyteller. Now, um, I'm trying to think. Have either of you run a LARP? I have not. <sighs> Only sort of. Okay. Um, I did a role-playing game where we did act out uh, some of the some of the actual scenes. So all the discussions and stuff like that. We didn't do it for combat, um, but when we were discussing the stuff and we were talking with other people, we would actually get us off the table. This was one I did for a con a while back. I was helping a friend out. I was kind of half running it. He was the one who was actually in charge, um, okay. but I was actually running most of the other. I was most of the other characters. Okay. So I had a loose script, but I had to have that script flow with where the characters took it. Okay. But not uh, to the degree that like you have. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think the the last year that I was a part of the Stevens for the UWSP LARP. I think it was it was two thousand one. It was the year that Alex was born, and. I think it was the probably the second time that I ran. The first time I ran, uh, with all due respect to Rob, we had kind of created a Monster of the Week LARP, which, while it's interesting for some, others were not as quite as keen on that, and completely understandable. One of the things that you have to kind of juggle is... I guess sort of as a director, you want to find out about the character that each person is playing and how you can fit them into that space and and work with them to try to, you know, make sure that they're getting the best experience for the time that they're putting in to the LARP. Um, now, were these characters that they created and brought to you, or were you giving them created characters that fit into your... Well, Lark. That's that's a very good question. Uh, if we did a one-shot, a one-shot was always pre-made characters. But for the LARP that this was, it was uh, for the school, the length of the school year. So it was characters that they made and brought. And then we talked about it <clears throat> to make sure that it was going to fit. You know, somebody wasn't trying to work the system to make something really kind of esoteric and, and very difficult to run, and that rarely ever happened. Did you have power gamers, though, too, where they were... Oh, yes. ...completely min-maxing and... Yes. <laughs> Rob Benton. And... Well, yeah, he, he <laughs> I played uh, I played with him. We played Torg. Okay. Back in, back in the dorms. Sure. He he was our DM at that point, so that was that we he crushed us. It was yeah. it was okay. <laughs> <laughs> and what I ended up doing that year is I ended up recruiting a couple of people. I ended up recruiting Cat uh, Lemmer. Mm -hmm. I ended up recruiting former guest Ian Benton. And I had some plot, some premises, some some of the NPCs of the city 
laid out some story ideas and I gave I gave Cat a particular series of characters and a plot line that I knew that she would enjoy playing with and ha- gave her control of it. Um, cool. She's and, brilliant. She's so good. Yeah, she is exceptional. And with I felt that I gave her a lot of the primer stuff that she could so that she could play. That's kind of the one of the interesting things that I found with that particular LARP is not only because I had other co-storytellers, I also wanted them to get to play and have fun as well. So I tried to structure something that was that I thought would play really well to Kat's strengths and gave her the freedom of if she felt shackled by something that she could feel free to to change that and um, and not be hampered by anything so that she could just kind of move that over. And I handed that over completely. I didn't, you know... She did whatever she wanted to with that, and that was cool. And then she'd report back and let me know what happened. And then I would coordinate with uh, something that I had given Ian to do. And then we would kind of discuss how that would impact the city as a whole um, and and kind of mesh things back together and see you know, if something happened over here, if that would have impact over there. And it was it was a lot of fun and very, very interesting. So... It's good to have that trust. Yeah. To be able to, as a storyteller, to be able to trust that those players that are working with you can help to further the story. And I think that that, it, that um, carries over in theater and it carries over in improv, too. You know, you, yeah. have, you have to trust that that other person is going to work with you and, and help to further the story. And that's what you were doing with them. Yeah. And... You know, I, I kind of learned a little bit of that from from Dale Newby. Mm-hmm. Uh, he let me <laughs> in one of Mind's Eye Theater used to put out like a a quarterly a quarterly digest and gave like plot ideas and um, talked about certain aspects and different things about uh, Mind's Eye Theater, but then. In one of the digests, they actually put in some of their rules at that point, the very first rules for uh, the true Bruja, uh, true Bruja. And they are, for those of you who, are, who know about White Wolf and, and the whole vampire clan structure, they're kind of the anarchist rebels as we knew them in the series when, we, when, we, when you first get to meet this particular clan. And it turns out that that particular clan is a kind of a bastardized takeover of the true version of the clan. Now, the uh, Bruja that, that you know about, they're the more common, have, the, have an ability called Celerity, which gives them the ability to move incredibly fast. That is a kind of a bastardized version of the true Bruja's ability, which is called Temporis, and they actually <clears throat> can control time to a certain degree. That's cool. So I presented the idea to Dale, and I said, you know, here's a, a rule set that you can take a look at, and 
I was thinking about playing this particular character, here's the background, here's the thought process, would you take a look at that and see if you're cool with me doing that? If not, that's fine too, but this is just something that grabbed my attention. It was, you know, we're going to start the year up here, and this really I thought would kind of be neat to play. And and he allowed me to do it. <clears throat> and quite honestly, there there was room with that first draft of rules to absolutely screw the system. <laughs> um, but well, but you did your homework. You brought an idea to him and yep. he okayed it and you know, wanted you to play with it. So you have to see if it'll break. See if it'll work. But yes. And, and if you weren't Rob Benton. <laughs> well, I, you know, had, had Rob presented that, I think it would have gone differently. Right. And no, no disrespect to Rob, uh, but Rob is somebody who, uh, as a min-maxer, as, as that particular type of person, he will uh, try to see how, how far he can go with the thing, with an idea that he has, and that's not a bad thing. You as a DM or storyteller or whatever have to know, you know, this is, and if Rob listens to this, I, I doubt that he will. <clears throat> the thing about Rob and players like Rob is you have to have not necessarily a line in the sand, but have that understanding that I will take this up to this point and you're not going to be able to talk me past this. We will try to do as much as we can to allow you to play in the space that you want to, but there are going to be limits to that and hold true to those limits. Um, and, and that's he's, he's not the only person that does this. He's just really yeah. bad at it. He's exceptional <laughs> at it. I, you know, we, we, we had dinner this evening and uh, we went to a, a sushi place, which is like half a block away from our house. They just started up there. Exceptional sushi. But like everything with Rob, and it's one of the wonderful things about our relationship as friends and also one of the horrifying things about our relationship as friends is grand adventures will happen with us by him saying, you know what you need to do, Brad? And we go from there. And wonderful things have come from that. We made a uh, shot glass chessboard for Ian uh, when he when he first moved to college, and he was a very very popular uh, student uh, in his particular dorm with that uh, shot glass chess set. But again, that was Rob's like, you know, you have the tools to do this. You know what we need to do. Uh, and sure enough, we're at the sushi place, and he's like, oh, you know, they have this. You need to get this. And I'm like, I do. Brad, I've been in your shoes. <laughs> that is my, my college career in a nutshell. Brad said, hey, we need to do this. And I yes. said, okay. <laughs> but, you know, and that, you know, like anything else, you trust that Rob's not going to, to screw you over and you're going to have probably have a good time. And of your life, absolutely. I, I regret nothing about that sushi because it was amazing, um, and and you know it was a good time. And you know, like like the LARP here, Dale had uh, he was a storyteller, and he had trust that I wasn't going to work the system, and that I was going to be reasonable and very aware. 
that having the ability to control time and one of the things that one of the powers that you had with this particular character with Temporis at least with the writing of that first draft <clears throat> is you had the ability if you were near somebody who is using celerity you could turn it off on somebody Ooh. And, you know, I, Dale and I talked about that, and he knew I wasn't going to use it necessarily irresponsibly, but my character's motivation was to, like, kill all the Bruja in this city, or, you know, get people to hate them and drive them out or whatever, and... You could use that to absolutely affect gameplay. Yes. And and when you needed to, when you had your motivation and your goal. You and, could... Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I only used the power once, that particular power once. And somebody was trying to escape uh, punishment, which was rightly deserved. <laughs> and they were trying to get past me. And this was... Uh, Ewit, and she's like, I run past you. I'm using celerity, and I like, no, you don't. <laughs> I turn to Dale, and I'm like, I'm doing the thing, and he's like, all right. And she like stopped and looked. She's like, what? <laughs> uh, your celerity's been turned off, and nobody ever figured out that I was true Bruja. That was the other thing too. They they were hunted almost to extinction and you aren't really supposed to reveal that you are. That's that particular character. So anyways, Dale had the trust that I wasn't going to abuse the system and I didn't and we had fun. So while that, while LARP getting back to the whole crux of this thing and one of the things that if somebody asks me to describe LARP, I always try to say it's somewhere between improv and theater where there isn't necessarily a script that you work off of, but you have directors. So, um, and there's that... Yeah, okay. So, and that's why I wanted to have you on because you have experienced all three of these things. You've experienced improv, you've done theater... And you've LARPed. And it, it's not any of one particular thing. It just seems to be a, a, a marriage of a number of things. And if you were to... So you think that that's a, a fairly accurate description then? It's somewhere between... Well, I think I've been, a, I've been a longer gamer than I've done any of the others. I sure. started playing D&D in fourth grade. Okay. Fourth grade, fifth grade. I'm soon to be 43. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's, it's been a long time, but I've always liked character creation and, and being able to come up with different different situations and scenarios through gaming and through tabletop gaming and then also being able to problem solve in that. And I think that my love of theater kind of came from gaming, if sure. that makes sense at yeah. all, um, because it allowed me to play in a different way. It allowed me to, to do that character creation and to have fun on a stage and have that be something that other people can see and I can receive feedback on that way. And improv kind of stemmed from that because I was aware of 
improv type games and comedy sports. And that's when Rob founded Delicious Ambiguity Comedy, he based it on the comedy sports improv games. And I played some of those improv games just working in high school theater and moving on to college and taking college classes in improv and things that way. So it was just a really good time. And I think LARP then came after that. And so that was a hybrid that I really enjoyed because I got to have a character with stats, but I also got to play in, you know, the, the kind of improv, okay, well, here's, here's your goals. Here are the, here's your motivation. Now you can work with it. I think some of the LARPs that I've been in were a little frustrating because I was set in a character, but I had to realize the bigger picture of things. And I think mm -hmm. if there are players either doing a, you know, a tabletop game or a LARP and they might get frustrated, you have to always keep in mind that there might be a bigger end goal and to just enjoy the story. Um, although you, you know, you want to do really cool things and you want to have really great powers, be able to kick someone's ass. In that. <laughs> Maybe that's not your character. Um, yeah. when Randy and I came up for one LARP. We had a Hamlet LARP. Oh, I don't know God. if you were a part of that or not. Yeah, I was. I was, uh, I was the Malkavian who was in charge of yeah I was the I was the the head of the Melks. Well, Randy and I were Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. Yes, yes, that's right. So, we were due yeah. at the beginning, which was actually really brilliant and a lot of fun, but we were not coming out of that alive. It didn't matter. <laughs> yeah, and actually my character would have been killed had had the game were if we were able to play beyond how long the building was going to be open. Mm -hmm. I would have been killed by my clan, <laughs> which I'm like, really? Oh, man, that sucks. But I actually learned how to force cards for that. So in my character, I'm like, is this your card? And, you know, I'd be guessing <laughs> people's card um, wandering around with that. So, yeah, it was a very, very fun and interesting LARP. And yes, a one-shot like that, which which that was, where you were handed a character and you were given kind of the basics of the name and who the character is, the affectations and other tweaks that you could give the character were all your own ability. You know, you could do whatever you wanted to within, you know, within the structure of the game and the rules, the, the stats of the character. So often in theater, too, you're playing... Oh, I thought I had to sneeze, sorry. <laughs> so often in theater, you're, you, have, you are fitting a certain role, and, and you have to be willing and open to do that and do that to the best of your ability. And I think with LARP, there's, there are certain roles and certain places that need people, and you have to be willing to take that on even if it's not, you know, the, the most kick-ass character ever. But you have to enjoy it and make it your own and figure out a way to make that fun. Yep. Yeah, that was one of the ones that I played with you guys was I was a Malkavian who had a sketchbook. Yes! Oh, my God! Yeah! And that was one of my favorites is I would sketch other, char other characters in the game and I would, for a short time, steal one of their powers. Yes. And I think my favorite moment was, or not even necessarily a power, it, it, it wouldn't always be a power, sometimes it would just be an attribute of them. 
And the brilliant time I had with him where I drew Dale's character, where he was, I think he was head of the Tremere, and he was meeting with the Nosferatu to, to work on some kind of deal, and he starts talking to them, and all of a sudden, I forget who was running the game, comes over and says, um, you no longer have your Austrian accent. And he's like, I what? I mean, I what? So then he stops using it, and then sudden, instantly the players picked up it, so they're like, wait a minute, why are you talking different? And I love the fact that, I mean, I did not have, I have been known to have to, to power game a bit in my past, and a lot of times with Randy's games, it's almost inadvertent power gaming where I make characters who just break the system without even thinking. It's like, I'll be a martial artist in a sci-fi campaign, which apparently breaks that game. Um, <laughs> but it was nifty being a character. Work your strength. Yeah, I had I had no, I mean, I was a Malkavian. I, I was not, a, a, you know, in any way set up for any kind of power anything. So, but there was so much fun to be had with that character because I got to interact with other people so much. Mm-hmm. Even in ways that they didn't always appreciate. <laughs> and then I tried to challenge Gretchen as something, and she was—I don't remember if she was gangrelers. So she was better, better at anything intimidation-wise than I was, and I just yeah did poorly. Stand down, man. Stand down. I think it was gangrel. I, I, I'm trying you, to. You had, you you stole my book from me, which made me very sad. Sorry, don't hate me. I was just playing the role I was I was meant to play. Absolutely, and that was, as I recall, everybody who had an opportunity to play that still talk about that. I mean, look at us now. Uh, still remember how wonderful that was because we had that wonderful shared experience that was directed very well by by the team that put it together, and. Uh, I mean, I knew what character I was going to play, I think, probably about five days ahead of time so I could practice the card trick uh, to be an a- to have as an affectation for the character that I was playing. So, um, A lot of us didn't get that kind of notice. It was, show up, here's what you're playing, go yeah. with it. And that well, was fun. I, I was willing to do that. I, I think I was the brother-in-law of somebody who was running it, so uh, that helped. <laughs> Membership had its privileges at the time. Uh, so, anyways, um, so yeah, uh, LARP, I guess, for uh, for lack of of any better description, lies somewhere between improv and theater, and through trust and understanding and communication between the players and the storytellers, you craft a shared experience that like with the, with the Hamlet LARP game, God, I, it's always one. I keep forgetting that that game happened. And whenever somebody, we start talking about it, you start remembering little bits and pieces and you remember how good of a time that you had. And that's really, that's really when you know you've been a part of a good LARP. Is everybody smiles and remembers their little particular section of the world that they occupied for that particular game and and had a great time. And that's always a, a true testament to to the storytellers that that put that together and um, allow the freedoms to, to, to make a memorable game. So There's nothing like shared storytelling. I think that's why I like gaming so much. And I like, you know, 
even now I don't get to do LARP as much as I'd like to, but tabletop games and, and even going to a con, if you're going to a con and you think you might be interested in doing it, I say try it, sign up for it. Yeah. Definitely, you know, have that experience with other people and, and then go out to dinner afterwards and, and talk about what could have happened or what did happen and, and be able to uh, to really make that connection. I think so often we're on our phones and on our computers so much now that we don't get that face-to-face -face connection. And I, I feel I have to add, if you have a poor experience in a LARP, don't let that sour you no. from everything. Because the first LARP I ever did, it was it was Vampire LARP with Oh my gosh, these if if they were more emo, they would have created like an emo loop in the space time continuum and all happiness would have been sucked into it. They were just awful people as far as how depressive depressing they were. And it's like they felt that that should come across in the game as in no one should have fun playing this because all life is meaningless anyways. So why should you enjoy any of it? And I'm like, and it was an awful experience. But then I met you guys, and I did a couple of LARPs up by you that were a blast. And I think at a con, it's a great way to do it because you're getting in on something designed specifically for that. Because it can be hard getting into a LARP that's an ongoing one where you're the new person. Yeah. Because you don't know. I mean, there's there's so much unwritten rules for every LARP of the way you do specific things and just the way you interact. You don't know the hierarchy because you'll see no. someone's character and you don't know what the real pecking order is yet. Right. And I, I had that issue with a couple of LARPs I tried where it was some are not as open to new players. Yeah. Yep. And some really, there's that, the saying of, you know, how absolute power corrupts absolutely. And if someone is in a game and they're the prince of the city, they can become a bit dickish. Yeah. And there's there should be a degree of that because they are the prince and they should be able to tell you to do stuff and well they're the they're the damn prince you do it. But there's a way to do it where it still makes the game enjoyable for people where you're not just simply like you're playing the longest game of uh, asshole where where <laughs> where no one else is ever allowed to win. You always just have yeah. to be the person who just go get me drinks because I witnessed a LARP like that where. The higher up people were just, they bossed around the new players, and they made them do things for them all the time. Mm. I'm thirsty, go, go get me something from the vending machine, and people would do it. I'm like, I'm not I'm not spending money on you because you played longer than me. Right. So, yeah. yeah, that's where, like, having a one-shot or having something in a con is probably better because it's you're not going to have that absolute power. Yes. I have to and mention that... When you said Prince of the City, it brought up the first time I brought Randy up to LARP up in Stevens Point, and he was just a little knockoff one-shot character that if this was something that Todd roll, oh, let the angels sing. Cat <laughs> <laughs> Lemmer had put together, it was a one-shot LARP, and Randy was playing a um, Kaitif or Katif, I'm not yeah. sure how to pronounce that. And he was posing as one of the other clans. I think he was in, he was mixed in with the gang girls, and he ended up becoming prince of the city. And so here's this this guy that nobody knew, who kind of became prince of the city by default. And uh, um, 
he basically worked it the way he does any sort of diplomatic thing where he found out what the other people wanted and what and tried to give them options that they wanted that he would win either way. He's very good at diplomacy. So <laughs> this was Randy being little mushroom headed and, and diplomatic at, at the time. But was, was, was this after you guys were married? No, this was when we were dating in college. Okay, because that sounds just very familiar to one that we had. Well, actually, there was a different one, I think, where Randy was posing as someone he wasn't. Well, and I, I think that's the basis of all Randy's games now. Like, every game <laughs> that we play, um, it, every character has a secret, and you get to pull off the mask, and you're like, actually, I'm not a guy. I'm a a girl tra brain transplanted into a guy's body, and, oh, yeah, there's my other severed head. So... <laughs> Or it's, you know, here's the reveal. You're not people. You're just a bunch of whiny manginas who, uh... <laughs> oh, we won't go into that one. Oh, don't turn me into a bad feminist again. <laughs> I was right there with you because, I mean, that's, that was, well, he's never going to listen to this, where, where a player got offended by me because my character was calling his character a name. I'm like, right. it, you realize this isn't me calling you a name, right? And... I don't understand why you're all crying. Now, you're, are you are you 38 years old and almost ready to cry about this? I think part of this whole experience talking about theater and improv and LARP is that at times I think you do have to have thicker skin or realize that people attacking your character that it's not about it's you not personally. Yeah. It is. This is this is in game. And this is, you know, in the scene or in the play, what, however you're looking at it. And you need to realize that, no, this is your role. This is what's going to happen. And, you know, to work with it from there and not take it so personally yes. <laughs> to the point yeah. where we can't play and we have to talk about our feelings. Yeah, no, exactly. And I, I think we've all had that experience. And, yeah, it's not, it's not fun. Well, I think that we are going to wrap things up. I think we've come to a general consensus of, of where kind of LARP lies in the in the spectrum and encourage people to to, to give it a try, uh, to have the ability to create something and try out a different persona is not is not a bad thing. Uh, it can be a very good thing. And uh, and to interact with people and uh, interact people in a kind of a, in a safe environment or should be a safe environment uh, and and have fun with other people that want to have the same fun experience that you do is 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 a wonderful way to spend your time so speaking of people who have spent time with us uh, we got a, a little bit of feedback from big 1975. Uh, about Adventure Party Episode 7, that's Patrick Rothfuss and World Building. Uh, we're going to go through this. Uh, understand that uh, English is not uh, this person's first language, so uh, we'll, we'll clarify any bits here uh, as we read this. Uh, we were talking about what system you could possibly use or what system, uh, RPG system, Pat felt 
that would work well for his series of books, the the, the uh, Kingkiller Chronicles, uh, that he's in the process of finishing up. And uh, Big1975 said, uh, for champions, the hero system, uh, Patrick was totally right except for one thing. Uh, the most complicated part is the character creation, the powers, uh, the spell creation, uh, and you have to make a little effort for combat. Uh, for those of you who have never played the hero system, uh, champions, you need to use a program that they have to make your character. Uh, trying to do the math uh, to create a character, while it is possible, it is very easy to do it wrong because there is a lot of math involved uh, in, in, in putting a character together. So, uh, continuing on. Uh, but when the character is done, the playing is essentially 3D6 throwing, simple to play. Uh, by the way, I'd really love uh, a show in which uh, Pat could explain how he uses champions uh, in his world using the magic system storytelling. So I guess essentially having Pat maybe give some tips into how uh, you could possibly uh, try to make uh, taking the King Killer Chronicles and putting them into the, the hero system to make that work. Uh, Pat's a pretty busy guy, and I'm not sure we'll be able to get him uh, anytime soon to try to, to attempt that, but uh, if we do, uh, perhaps we'll, we'll see if he can uh, shed some light on that. So uh, thank you for taking the time to, to uh, share that with us. And uh, Big1975 uh, gave us that comment through YouTube, and we use YouTube... Uh, to record our shows, and then we pull the audio off of that to create the audio podcast. So uh, it is possible for you to go to youtube.com slash galactic netcasts and see the videos of each of our shows that we do. Uh, you can keep on top of what Adventure Party is up to by following Galactic Netcasts on Twitter, by liking our Facebook page or subscribing to our YouTube channel that I just mentioned. Uh, we also have accounts on some other social media platforms as well. Just search for Galactic Netcasts or click on corresponding logos on the top right of our main webpage at gncasts.com. You can also support all that Galactic Netcasts does by making a monthly recurring pledge at patreon.com slash galactic netcasts. Your $1, $3, or $5 uh, support every month can help pay for operating costs such as web and audio hosting. The best part is at every level of giving, you will get a bonus uh, bit of content that other listeners won't have access to. Again, if you want to contribute, go to patreon.com slash galactic netcasts. Uh, for more on this podcast, including show notes, contact info, or more, uh, you can go to gncasts.com slash adventure. And you sub can subscribe to this podcast by going to gncasts.com slash subscribe or search for us on iTunes, Stitcher, now on Google Play Music, or anywhere fine podcasts are offered. So, Gretchen... I want to thank you. We finally found – I wanted to have you on the show, but I had to find a way to make it work. And by God, if we didn't make it work. So, well, thank you for having me. I, it was, you're welcome, and I appreciate being on. It was so much fun. 
it, uh, it it's always gratifying when a friend of yours goes, "Hey, I've been listening to your podcast," which you don't hear that often uh, from just any old folk. Uh, so it was good to have Gretchen, who uh, Glenn has known longer than myself, and I have known for quite a while, really? and and, wow. and and shut it. Bittner. There's always one, Glenn. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, just with the whole Stevens Point thing, I just assumed you would have known her longer. No, actually, I didn't get to Stevens Point. I was living in La Crosse. I didn't move back to this area until 95. Ah. So uh, I had heard stories of, of Gretchen and how sweet and wonderful she was, and then she broke my mind in 1996 during trivia. Um, for something that we we still mention in hush tones to this day. Well, again, this was Rob Benton saying, yes. you know what would be funny is if you did this. I need to make a t-shirt that just and has that so as a quote. That's, that's how all good stories start. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> uh, I have known Brad for a long time. Even, even if, like, I didn't know him then, he... He would have been like a great friend even even before I met him. I you know had had things well actually had things changed, I would have gone to the UWSP starting in like eighty nine. So I'm not sure our paths would have necessarily crossed. It I'm would have glad been. They did. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm glad things uh, turned out the way they did too. I've got a great group of friends, and uh, I count you among them. So, uh, when is Sister Act again? You mentioned that you're going to be in Sister Act, and when is that performance? Oh, that's through our local Quincy Community Theater here. It's my first time performing with them. I took a big leap and said, you know, I'm going to do this this summer. Uh, it's going to be the last two weekends in July. So uh, we've got ten performances, possibly more, uh, but it'll it'll be really, really cool. Awesome. awesome. And this is in Quincy, Illinois. Yep, it's the belly button of Illinois. You see that big belly? <laughs> on the belly button. That's where we live. So if you enjoy musical theater and sister act, uh, while it's it, it started as it started as a movie, or was it? It started a, as a movie, and then Whoopi Goldberg decided let's take it to Broadway. Um, they actually workshopped it. They did a London debut with it, and Alan Menken came in. He does all the all sorts oh, of Disney music. Oh yes, music is all Alan Menken. He did Little Shop of Horrors, which yes. I love. He did Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, Enchanted, um, Entangled. So, you know, it's, it's, it's really fun and music heavy. So I've got a lot of learning to do. <laughs> but you will succeed. I know that. Um, so thank you very much for, for joining us here at the Adventure Party. Glenn. Yeah. Where can people find out more about what you do? on the B-Movie Bunker and Mist Runner. Well, in theory, you can find more about B-Movie Bunker at on Facebook with B-Movie Bunker or on YouTube with Guy in a Bunker Productions, though I haven't done much with it this year because I've been busy with a lot of other things, but I hope to get back on the review track soon. Um, be just, I, do, I do so many podcasts because you can also find me um, not only on this podcast, I also do Astro Radio Z, 
and I do the spoiler room uh, with the wonderful Mark the Movie Man. Um, so you can find me on those as well. Um, and just follow me on Twitter at Guy in a Bunker. Or come to Milwaukee, go to the Board Game Barrister, and I will show you some wonderful board games. Yes, and I highly recommend... This isn't a paid thing, but I I highly recommend going, taking that trip to Milwaukee and uh, checking out the Board Game Barrister. You will not be disappointed. All right. I uh, want to uh, thank everyone so much for joining us here at the Adventure Party. May your characters never die and your adventures always be epic. Thank you and good night. This has been a Galactic Network podcast. For more, go to GNCast.com. That's G-N-C-A-S-T-S dot com.